Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. All right. Thank you, everybody. Good to be here with everybody here in SA International. I love this. My name is Jason. I am a sexaholic. Um, I categorize myself as a sexaholic of the hopeless variety. Aside from divine intervention, there's absolutely no hope for me. Um, I thought I would just uh, do a little sharing of uh, my story, kind of what I was like, what happened. How am I like now? What am I like now? I I do like to say that I will not be talking about what it was like, what it what happened, and what it's like now, because I don't know how it is. I'm only going to talk about how I was and how I am. So let's start by just uh, maybe I'd like to say a set aside prayer to get this thing started. So God, please set aside everything that I think I know about my story for an open mind and a new experience in my story, and I might carry a message of hope to at least one person here. And I don't speak for SA, although I'm frequently consider myself secretly to be the group conscience. So forgive me for that. I have an ego. It has no, I have no power over that. Except for 10, 11, and 12. (laughs) Anyway, so I'm going to just go like the big book says in a pretty general way about what I was like pre-recovery. And uh, what I was like was just, absolutely hopelessly in the throes of lust and, and quite frankly, selfishness and self-centeredness. The forms of acting out that I did included um, chronic masturbation, masturbation chronically while driving, uh, streetwalker prostitutes, hundreds of those, uh, strip joints, some massage parlor, not too much, some phone sex, not too much. But uh, it's interesting because the way that it started in younger life, it just seemed like I was just a normal teenage kid who maybe liked sex a lot. And then it just kept progressing. And after a while, I remember I would find myself in a bookstore looking at magazines and I'd be thinking, why am I doing this every day? It really puzzled me. Like, why do I have to go through this every single day? But it would be just like a, like a, the cloud clearing for a moment and I could see and then it would go back down again and I would just be lost in the trance and lost in the acting out. And um, I remember the first time that I was with the prostitute was in Oakland, California. And it was, um, as I saw it at that time, it was like I had died and gone to heaven. I was able to have sex to my liking without any connection to that person. They didn't have to know me. I didn't have to know them. We didn't have to put up with each other's baggage. It was just, you know, getting the juice without the pulp. 
And I just thought that was the best thing. And this is an indicator to me that it really is true what it says in the doctor's opinion, that I am a person who cannot differentiate the true from the false. I had no idea what was happening to me in that process. I was in the process of being eaten alive, consumed, my soul being consumed by this. And uh, somehow in my, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on, because the progression just, it just was relentless. Like Roy said on page 37 of the book, relentless and, and inevitable. But while I'm in it, I don't know how bad it is. I don't understand. I just think that I'm having a good time as I'm going down what my AA sponsor calls the doom curve to my doom. And uh, it just kept getting worse and worse, more and more progressive, taking occupying more and more of my time until it reached the point probably in my 30s or 40s, I'm not even certain on the timeline, where all that I could do was was lust and act out all day long. I mean, I wake up in the middle of the night and, and have to get magazines out and act out and go back to sleep. And uh, if, I had, if I was sexual with my wife the night before, when I'd wake up in the morning, I'd think, boy, that was really great. We had a good connection. That was great. Now, now what? Because one is not enough. I'm, I've got to go to the bookstore. I've got to go cruising. So early on in my recovery in my uh, in my marriage my fa- my wife found out that i had been going to prostitutes and uh, she let me know that i should have let her know about that before we got married she said i, I wouldn't have married you and uh, but as it is we are we have a child which is honestly why we got married and uh, you need to go see my therapist and i did and i saw him for about a year and when that was all done, we both decided that Jason was fixed, that he could no longer have to go on the streets anymore. And as far as he and I were concerned, that was the only thing I had to do is to stay off the streets. And I agreed with him. I'm better. And then for a while, I was okay. And then I noticed that the car started driving itself to certain streets. I wouldn't pick up anybody, but just driving. And then finally it happened. And, and then at that point, I, I told myself that my wife could never, ever understand this need. And therefore, I just had to hide it from her. And I went into incredible hiding. I was pretty good at it. But while I was seeing that therapist, an interesting ha- thing happened to me. I went into uh, like a bookstore, like a Barnes & Noble regular bookstore. And there was a book in there that is now known as Out of the Shadows by Patrick Carnes. It's the probably what a lot of people read first to find out that they're sex addicts. Luckily for me, it wasn't called that or I would have never picked up the book. The book was called The Sexual Addiction. I swear to God, that was the name of it. I pulled that book out. It's not a real thick book. I started reading it and I went, oh, my God, this is why. I'm addicted, just like my, just like an alcoholic is addicted. And it planted seeds in me. It didn't, didn't fix me, but at least I could see that maybe there would be a place to go. And then um, finally, I went to one of the other S programs in 87 and uh, did not get well there at all. But I discovered uh, truly that I couldn't control my my acting out, that there was no way to control. I'm talking about not not the stopping, but trying to control the drinking, you know, 
So I was, um, at one point I tried the experiment. I may have talked about this in this meeting before. I tried the experiment that I'll only masturbate once a week, and that would be control. And then it was like, well, I'll only masturbate twice a week. Obviously, once a week isn't quite enough. And, and then it was like, I'll only do this every other day. And then it was like, once a day. And it was like, oh, screw this. <laughs> that was it. That was as much control as I had, which is none, which is none. When I'm in the allergy, when I'm in the allergy of lust, there is nothing. It's beyond my mental control. I can't, I can't control it. So, and I never really tried to stop. I hear people say, well, I stopped thousands of times. I guess I could say that. I must have stopped thousands of times. But it was, it was the kind of stopping that was still in a spree. So it wasn't really a stop where there was some time. So uh, one time I had 10 days, and I, and I really thought that I had it beat. And then uh, on, the 11, on either the 10th or the 11th day, I found out that I was not in charge of the stop. So I, now I found out I'm not in charge of the stop. I'm not in charge of the spree, the allergy. And it's only in, in recovery that I have come to understand that not only have I never been in charge of those things, I never will be in charge of them. But even worse, there was no way to prevent it from getting worse and worse and worse. The, my sponsor's doom curve is, it's, Roy says on page 37 of the white book, he goes, it's relent, relentless, can't be stopped. It just is going on and on and on. And, there, you know, honestly, if I could have somehow just paused it at some point and said, it's not going to get any worse, this is, all the, this is all the worse it's going to be, I probably felt I could have lived with that. But it just got worse and worse and worse. And um, I don't know. I, my wife and I moved to San Diego in 91. I'm a native San Diego, but we've been gone for a long time. And uh, Or I had been. She'd never been here. And uh, she one day she found out from a friend of hers that maybe my story about being recovered and not needing not needing meetings was not exactly true. So she asked me, she said, uh, have you acted out at all? Have you been in, in your bottom line since we've been here in San Diego? She was thinking that I might say, yeah, one time years ago when I got over it, something like that. But my answer was, this is my answer. She said I turned white like a sheet. And I, my reply to her was, honey, I'm in so deep I can't see which was really, really tough news for both of us. I mean, honestly, at that point, I was cooked. I was baked. I wanted to get into SA, I think. I think I did. Because I'd been in SA briefly in 91 when we first came, but I left because I thought they're just a bunch of whiny, snivelly people, and I don't need to be around them. They're not helping me any. So boy, I'm talking more about this stuff than I meant to. So I came into SA in 96, I think May or June of 96, May of 96. And I got a great sponsor, a very good guy's turned out. He's still in recovery. Good, good friend of mine. He's not my sponsor anymore. But he helped me a lot. I couldn't get sober, so he, he had just found out about the daily sobriety renewals. So we did that, and that helped a lot. But here's, uh, here's the thing about getting sober is that getting sober is not the same as staying sober. And staying sober can go on for a very long time, and it is not the same as being recovered. That's my experience. I was sober for four years at one time in SA. And as far as I was concerned, I was safe. 
I was okay. And then, as the big book often says, one day, <laughs> one day, something happened. I didn't even know what happened. All I know is that I'm no longer sober. And I'm scared shitless. I really am. Because the fact of the matter is, is that I didn't want that to be the way that I died and the way that I lived anymore. And it, it just staggered me. And then I got sober again. And here's the thing is I was, I was always confusing sobriety with recovery and thinking that meetings treated untreated sexaholism, that sponsoring other people treated it when I wasn't recovered. Um, service treated it. So Phoneless treated it. Call your sponsor. Do your sobriety renewals. These are all really, really vital things, I believe, especially to get sober. But what I did not truly get was that I needed a connection with God and that I had no idea that I did not truly, that the, I, did not have, I did not have any idea that the power was not actually to be found in any of the things that I was doing that the power was to be found by going through the process of the steps. And that's what I like to talk about now, because this is what happened. I worked the steps in various ways throughout the, in 1996 to 2019. And by 2019, I was sober maybe about nine years. And I was hitting, I was hitting what I have found out now is the sober bottom. That's the one that really kicks you, really kicked kick me, because I was sober. I was going to meetings. I was doing these things, and I looked at two options. I looked, okay, there's an option over here called drugging myself again, going back to marijuana, going back to alcohol, going back to lust and acting out, going back to whatever. I might not even know what it's going to be. Maybe I'll start gambling. And none of those, I knew none of those was going to be of any help to me at all. And on the other hand, I looked and go, whatever I got going on recovery isn't working either. And I was sitting at May of 2019, well, all of 2019, I was sitting in this place of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, sober. I was frequently asking God to end my life. I couldn't kill myself, but I was asking God, please end this for me. I, I can't do this anymore. And, you know, that's, that was really a great gift for me. I didn't see it at the time, but that was the greatest gift maybe that I was ever given. Because uh, then I was open to, I didn't even know that I was what I was open to. But there was an opening that was being created. I believe God was creating it for me. I, I, I can't, I'm unmanageable. I can't do anything for myself of any good value. But somehow in that process of looking at these two options and these two hands, as I'm using them for, you know, to display them or talk about them, something opened. I went to a meeting that someone told me about this woman in Escondido who was doing these step, st step study meetings. And I said, no, I'm not going to go to that. I know all about this. I, you know, talk about no, no humility. But somehow God said, okay. I'll make it so that she gives an afternoon makeup session because she recorded them and didn't record. So I said, you want to go to an afternoon? I go, all right, I'll go to the afternoon. It's going to be a waste of time, but 
I'll go. I know, I know, I know all about this. Nothing like I know, you know. And suddenly I get in this room and this woman is just blowing my mind about what recovery really is. And I went up to her after the after the talk and uh, either then or, or shortly there, I started going to the nighttime ones. The resistance to going to the night meetings disappeared. And then I asked her if she could sponsor me and she said, let me pray about it. And my wife said, Jason, you're a sexaholic. I'm very uncomfortable and you should be too at being sponsored by a woman. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, okay, she's right. So I let Helen know that I couldn't, you know, my wife asked me not to work with her. She said, that's perfectly understandable. And then I said, but do you know anyone that could help me? And is there a guy that's gone through this before? And next thing I know, I'm talking to her sponsor, Michael A. of AA in Memphis, Tennessee. And here's the first thing that son of a gun asked me. He said, have you ever surrendered? I've been in some kind of recovery since 87 for crying out loud. Have you ever have you ever surrendered? Have you actually had a real surrender? And I said, you mean uh, like third step? Surrender to God, my will, my life? He goes, yeah. About a 15-second pause, and then I went, not really. Not really. Not really. That was the best answer I could have given because it was the truth. You know, it was like that was the truth. I didn't like to admit. Who likes to admit the truth? Who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one. Who likes to tell the truth on themselves? Practically no one. But he and I worked, and he took me through the big book, which as far as I'm concerned, I'm so grateful for this meeting that we have here because we go through this book. But I truly believe it's not enough to do it in a study. It's also critical to go through it with someone who has been through this process who and who knows how, who can transmit not just the information, but the being, you know, we transmit what we have. And over the phone, this guy started transmitting to me recovery. And the mind boggling thing that happened for me, I never forget this. I was in my office in the room next door here. He and I were talking on the phone and all of a sudden, I was on my feet running around the room going, oh, my God, the obsession has been running the show the whole time. And he started laughing. He goes, you got it. Yeah. And the, the subconscious does not operate. The sub, the, the, excuse me. It doesn't operate consciously. So I can't deal with it consciously. And that, that is why, to me, the first step, has to be, for me, exactly what they say in the big book. Uh, the first step is I must concede to my innermost self that I am sexaholic. That's the first step. The first step can be expressed through people giving their first steps in meetings, through writing their stories, but there's something that happens when it goes in here. And here's the really mind-boggling part for me, was that I had gotten all the evidence of my relapses, of the, I, I could see clearly the allergy, the, um, the obsession of the mind, I, could, I started to grasp that. The inevitable progression, how this was leading towards death, not just a head cold, this is stage four cancer, so to speak. I could see all of that. 
and there was something blocking it at the level of accepting that this is true for me. Even though I could see it was true for me, and I agreed it was true for me, and I had some part of me in here that wanted to agree that it was true, but I couldn't accept it. And that's when I, I finally realized that powerless means I don't even have the power to take the first step. Yeah, And I had to ask God. I, I spoke to God. I said, I can't accept this. I need you to accept this for me. Will you please accept this for me that I'm truly sexaholic and that I will lust again and I will act out again. That was the resistance was how can that be? I got all this sobriety time. Yeah, but you had four years, you had three years, two, all that stuff. I could look at all of that. So that changed everything. That was like the, uh, the blockage was like made out of ice and God started just melting it down and, and and also showed me more clearly in my in my living experience uh, how subject I am to lust and how there's nothing that I can do to resist it. Page twenty four, I am without defense against the first lust drink. Absolutely, whether I act out or not, whether I act out or not. So anyway, I went through the steps with him. Found out that came to believe of step two means open mind, and I found that I had to let I had to uncover all my old ideas about what God and spirituality and religion were, set them aside. And it says that the, and we're going to come to this in, in the chapter we're going to read here pretty soon. Uh, the last part, it says, uh, when, when I draw near to him, which is take steps four through 12, he discloses himself to me. And I was told to not have too fixed an idea of what God is or God isn't but to just let God reveal God to me in an ongoing process of revelation. So that was very helpful. Step three, um, I took step three. Um, I was in San Diego. How much time are we doing, Dennis? What are we doing for time? You I'll take go, as much time as you need. No, you okay. go through it. Don't, don't let it All stop. Right. You're doing well. All right. All right. So um, Step three is, is a critical step. You know, it says in the 12 and 12 that the whole program rests upon how well we have taken that, that step three decision. So um, I spent a lot of time on step three, really becoming convinced that a life run on self-will, my life run on self-will, was never going to work, was never, ever going to be successful, was always going to have me right back to where I was when I first talked to Michael, which is asking God to end my life because self-will Part, self-will is part of the sexualism. It just takes me down. So um, then I, Michael being in Memphis, he said, I want you to go take the third step prayer with someone there. Why don't you talk to Helen? So I went and did the third step prayer with Helen. She asked me some questions. And then I did the third step. And I got back on the phone with Michael and he said, uh, so you've turned your will and your life over to God, have you? And I said, no, I've just made a decision. He goes, oh, good. You're getting it. Okay, good. <laughs> And then we started in on step four. And luckily, I was uh, retired by then. So I was able to spend, uh, I don't know, I spent about six weeks working on step four for about uh, anywhere from two to four to six hours a day, usually in the morning. Did a lot of work on that. Shared the step with him. It took nine hours, nine un un uninterrupted hours, except for uh, a lunch and bathroom breaks. And um, he just listened. He just listened. 
step six and seven were done through uh, the 12 and 12. And he helped me to see that the seven deadly sins are the basic character defects. Out of them springs all the shortcomings. So it helped me to see that, and then I'm powerless over that. Eight and nine, and then um, 10, 11, and 12. It's kind of as a way of life. No, take the word kind of. My sponsor taught, taught me to take out those, those kind of words. 10, 11, and 12 is the way of life. You know, and, and I love it. I'm so grateful because it tells me, Jason, you don't have to be a saint. You just you just need to be committed to this recovery program. So and I am. I'm as as much as I can tell, I'm all in in recovery. And I'm sure I'm wrong on that. <laughs> Because you see, once again, I am someone who cannot truly differentiate the truth from the false. So my sponsor told me, Michael told me, Jason, make mistakes. Do not be afraid to fail. You have to. You're going to make them anyway. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Uh, so because I got step 10 and 11 and 12, I can make really whomper mistakes. I don't try to. But, you know, like the other day I'm in a meeting. I'll tell myself here I'm in a meeting the other day, and and uh, some guy gave a share that somehow I knew um, was a little off the beam, which I believe it was. It was a little off the beam. And then I suddenly realized it was my job to correct him in front of everybody during the meeting. <laughs> thereby violating tradition one, which our common welfare comes first. Yeah. And that the essay meetings are a place that needs to be 100% safe to say what needs to be said. It can be wrong. God knows. God will correct it. God will show me where I'm wrong. So I made amends to the group. I made amends to the guy. And then I really thought about this. It's like, you know, Harry Tebow was a, a therapist that worked with uh, with AA during the early years, and he said that the the ego always rebuilds. It always rebuilds. And you know, I I, I want to be recovered, which I am, but also cured, which I'm not. And I really like what was in the. Maybe I'll close with this. I like what was in today's uh, real connection uh, today, April nineteenth. It's an interesting essay. It's called "Who Am I." And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he's talking about all the descriptions of himself. And he said, the word that most accurately describes me is recovering. He says, I am currently, with the help of my essay sponsor, 12 Steps of My Higher Power, will be, continue to be recovering. Thank you, God, for the gift of recovery. And um, I have come to see that the AA book promises me that I can become recovered. And that just basically means, well, better, like recovered from an illness. So like the obsession of the mind gets expelled by the 12 steps being put into practice. It really does. So that, that part of me that would take me back to the next drink is is either removed or put in neutral or something. I don't really know what it is, but it's not it's not occupying space. It's not it's not running my life anymore. But I'm thinking of Felix the cat now. Uh, I know a lot of you probably have 
don't know Felix the Cat, but for us older dudes, gals, we do. Felix the Cat was this cat that had all had a bag of tricks. He could do all kinds of things. I don't really remember that much about Felix the Cat except for one thing. It was always a two-part thing. It would start it out, and then the next one would be complete the sequence, right? So I guess as an inexpensive way to not have to figure out what to put on, at the end of each of them, they put the end to be continued. And I like that. I really like that. Like, I am recovered, and I am recovering. And it sounds like they shouldn't be the same, but they really are. If I'm not recovering more and more deeply, growing and maintaining and growing that spiritual experience, this recovered, this, this, this thing here, it goes away real fast. So it's okay to be recovered but not cured. But I'd never seen that until this morning. It's like I can be recovered and recovering, just like Felix the Cat. It's the end to be continued. And with that, I'll close and just say that this is the end of what I have to say today, to be continued. Thanks for listening to me. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> I'd like to invite everybody to unmute and give Jason, if you so desire, a round of applause. Yes, there you go. Thank you. I've given everybody the ability to unmute. You how how do they do that? They go, they go like this, right? <laughs> oh, I, okay. I checked it, but it didn't work. Stand by. Okay, now. I'd like to invite yeah. everybody that wants to unmute. Can unmute at this there time? Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Virtual hugs. Virtual hugs. All right, everybody. Well, let me. Um... All right, Jason, thank you so much. Uh, what an amazing. Thank you, Dennis, for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Oh, man, this was, it was beautiful. Um, it was really, really powerful. Um, I loved it. So we're going to open the call up for anybody that would like to ask Jason a question. You can raise your hand. And Motion, we'll start with you. Go ahead. Thank you. Motion, before you ask your question, I just want to state something that I failed to state that I heard. I saw David does this quite regularly when he speaks. Um, I am uh, sober since June 3rd of 2011. And for that, I'm, I'll never be grateful enough. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Hey, hello, everyone. It's Mohsen. I'm a recovering sexaholic from Iran, and uh, I'm really hey. grateful to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for uh, being so, here. <laughs> so the question is, uh, I have, like, all symptoms of depression, and I'm suffering. And I, like, like uh, I have, like, suicide, I, I'm suicidal, suicidal sometimes. Like the, the the thought comes in like three or four four times a, a week, and like part of me is scared of going to a therapist because like there are like that I'm gonna like get on pills, you know. And part of me said that says that like like be patient, like if you if you just stay sober a little bit more, uh, that depression goes away. So could you please share on this? Thank you. Okay, I'm, I'm really not qualified to share on um, anybody who's experiencing uh, depression that's clinical depression. But I will say that if you open your big book to page 52, uh, they talk here about uh, what they call this, the bedevilments. And 
I found that everything, I'm glad you asked this question so I could make this point in any case. I found that everything that's on page 52 was true for me. And then in fact, my entire life had been, had been spent trying to make 52 either go away or transform into something wonderful like page 83, the, the, the promises. And uh, this is my real, this is my real powerlessness. I have trouble with personal relationships and anybody who's done an inventory knows that that's a fact, right? Full of resentment, full of fear, full of harmful actions, trying to avoid the consequences. I couldn't control my emotional nature, not just my emotions, but the very nature itself. I was a prey to misery and depression, which is what it sounds like what you're dealing with here. Um, I couldn't make a living, and that doesn't mean couldn't hold a job. Uh, to me, that means I couldn't make a life worth living. Yeah. Feeling of uselessness. I was full of fear. I was unhappy is an understatement. I was miserable. I couldn't seem to be of help to uh, real help to other people. And uh, Michael helped me to understand that this is these are the results of living my life on self-will and selfishness and self-centeredness. That's what happens is this stuff shows up. And what I found, I'm glad you asked this question because it, it helps with my story too, um, that I wanted to cover. Is what I found was that restless, irritable, discontented in page 52 are what, un, what unrecovered sexaholism shows up looking like. And I was blown away when I went through the steps of Michael, like within a month or so, I was sitting one day in my chair and I was thinking something's different and I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it. And, and then it was like, I'm not restless. I'm not irritable. I'm not discontented. And I didn't make that go away. I didn't even know it was being taken away because my sponsor said, really what's going on in recovery is a spiritual transformation, a spiritual awakening of which being sober is one of the more minor side benefits of it. Fairly minor side benefit, pretty big when you're in, when you're in the throes of it. So all I can say is that if you're not clinically depressed, if someone's not clinically depressed, might try going through the steps with a recovered sponsor who's still recovering. I'll add that in. Um, to have the spiritual experience and see if this doesn't just change because I, I no longer, I sometimes I wake up, I don't, I don't wake up in the morning every morning going, Oh, whoopee, I'm alive. I have to kind of, you know, get the things started, get that prayer and meditation time, make that connection. But I'll tell you what, I do not wake up any morning thinking, when is this going to be over? You know? So I don't know if that helps or not, Muslim, but I appreciate your asking the question. And uh, if you, do you have a sponsor right now, uh, a tw uh, someone who's been through the twelve steps? Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, thank you for sharing because uh, yeah, I, I can resonate with all those feelings you just read from the book. But yeah, yeah that's that's all. Yeah. Yeah. My sponsor said something else too. He said that it says uh, Bill Wilson said that our chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program of recovery. And then he said, I am, he said, I personally am incapable of giving an adequate presentation without having my big, big book. 
So yeah. I like to refer to the book and to the 12 and 12 sentence too. Okay, thanks yes, very thank much. You. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dennis. Well, thank you. And I am going to put a little article. Bill W. was, you know, even I think he was 20 years sober and was struggling with emotional sobriety. And there's some great Tom Brady, I think is his name, has Mm -hmm. done some great uh, recordings on this that may be helpful. So I'll put that in the chat. It's called The Next Frontier Emotional Sobriety by Bill W. And if you have anything else, Jason, that you know of that may be helpful, that would be wonderful. But uh, just, 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 you know, my my sponsor told me two things. He said, just it's okay to to be honestly where you are is okay. Don't think that you should be further along than you are. Yeah. Just be where you are. Allow that, and trust the process, which means take the steps, take them thoroughly and honestly. And my experience is that when I take the steps and live by the steps, it's uh, a lot of problems just go away because you know. Look at what it says on page 25. I mean, talk about a great promise. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. Never. That means what's happening in recovery is impossible without God, as far as I'm concerned. And even the, the end of the ninth step promises, we'll suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. It's, it's a real bitch to move from self-reliance to God-reliance. And what I see is that the only way for me to get to God-reliance is to allow self-reliance to fail and fail and fail me until it's like, okay, I give up. Thank you, Jason. I give up for now. Then I'll have to give up again and again and again. Who's, who's up next? <laughs> Mike, Micah. You're up, Micah. Uh, hey, Micah. Hey, Jason. Micah, sexaholic. Oh, man. Thank you so much you for uh, so, so, many, uh, so many good nuggets. You said something. I don't know if it was a slip of the tongue, but it was really profound for me. Um, you said, I don't want to die this way. And then you also said, I don't want to live this way immediately after. And... Uh, that was just so profound to me. Um, even in whatever string of sobriety I've been able to put together uh, in this program, at the end of the day, I, I have noticed that in the state that I am, even with sobriety, you talked about a sober bottom. And I was just hoping you could talk about that a little bit more. Uh, it's just something I'm, I'm, I'm only just now realizing, even with sobriety, I still don't necessarily want to die this way and I don't necessarily want to live this way either. Um, and I, and I think you touched on it. You touched on the the sober bottom that you experienced. And I was just hoping you could, um, talk, talk through that a, a little bit more. Um, what it was for you. I think you said d- depression. Um, but I, I couldn't quite catch what you said was okay. Yeah. With that. Um, mm-hmm. so apologies if I just wasn't, wasn't catching that, but yeah, I'll just go back and listen to the record. No, <laughs> could easily do that too. I, I, I don't know. Um, I had been sober in SA at that time since June 3rd of the 11. So I'd been sober a long time and I, I didn't understand about the cycle of drinking. And if you're not familiar with that, that's uh, to be found in the doctor's opinion. 
where he says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol or lust because they like the effect produced by lust. And then it goes on to say that uh, the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, so I'm not in denial, I know this is bad news. I could not differentiate the truth from the false. You know, the, the truth from the false would be like, um, well, this is the question concerns a really good example of that. And that is, I could not understand how it could be that I could be sober for eight or nine years, whatever that is, I guess eight years at that time and not be happy, joyous, and free. I couldn't, I couldn't distinguish between the fact that it says in the white book, sober is not well. Sober is far from well. In fact, sober, dry sober, just a period of sobriety, it's just looping back and acting out again eventually. For me, it really is. But the, the dry, the sober bottom was the sense of this over here on the one hand of acting out and lusting, I can see I that's not that is not going to take, make what I'm having go away. And what I've been doing in recovery is not making it go away. And I didn't know anything else to do. I'm looking at going, what I felt like I was I was in, you know, you know what a pickle is in a baseball game. I felt like I was in a pickle and I was going to get tagged out. And uh, I was just miserable. I don't know that it's explaining it any better. I may just, I may be in the department of redundancy department here. I don't know. But uh, there was this feeling that if this is all there is, I want out. I was in a black hole. In that, that movie, the uh, Get Out, they put him in, he's just in a sunken place. Felt like I was in a sunken place, just nothing I could do, and I, I, I didn't know what to do. I, does that help? Does that clarify anything at all? Or it does actually. Yeah, thank you. No. Okay. Appreciate that. Here's though the thing is that I, I think this is the greatest gift in the world for me. You know, it's like, uh, you know, in the story in right at uh, where is it? The story where the one page fifty six one night we can find in the hospital. Approached by an alcoholic with known a spiritual experience. If there's a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. And I was reading that story the other day, and I thought he'd done every God did everything for him. God brought him to the point where he had no other place to go but to God. Now, if that's not the greatest gift in the world, I don't know what is, especially for a sexaholic of the hopeless variety. Who's next? David. <clears throat> hey, um, thank you, Jason. I appreciate appreciate your sharing. Um, and thank you, Dennis, for making it available. Um, you said that when you met with uh, Michael the first time and he asked you, have you surrendered, you, ha- you, you took that 15-second pause and, and you said no. Okay, so can you speak to, um, okay, I, all I can speak to is my own experience. I had a very profound, I had a profound uh, step three with my sponsor. It, it was it was beautiful, and I and I said I I I surrender. I give my life, my will to the care of God, you know. And then it wasn't it wasn't a week, and I was acting out again, you know. Uh, so and I know that God doesn't take away my self will. I have you know, but 
I don't know. Um, it just sounds like there's there's some similarity there. I'm wondering what that experience was like, and um, if you if you had obviously you said you had at that point surrendered. You did the th- step three with the the lady. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Well, surrender is a funny word. Um, it, it's often presented as that surrender is something that I do rather than something that, that happens to me. You know, like I, I feel like more like I'm surrendered than I surrender. I, my surrender, I'm powerless to surrender of my own power. I can't make my, I can't make a surrender that sticks witness what you just talked about, you know? So, um, I like what Chuck C said about surrender. He goes, uh, if you take steps four through nine thoroughly and honestly, you'll be surrendered. Be surrendered. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get surrendered. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's an awful lot of sense of that I'm supposed to be doing something when I'm not capable of doing much of anything excepting um, following directions in the book. Going, I ask myself, what do these things mean to me when I'm, when I'm reading them? I do a lot of questioning, a lot of writing out, like, how does this apply to me? What does this have to do with my life? You know, the big book to me is a, is a great place to open up the story, my story in a certain way that I wouldn't open it up otherwise. So, okay. so if that, if you had that experience, then that maybe that has helped you. Has it helped you to surrender more to realize that, uh, that I don't have the power to stay sober? Well, I, just, um, after that experience of, of, of taking that, uh, quote, taking the third step, you know, I, um, I, I was convinced, I, I was convinced that I had done a, 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 a real third step that I had really surrendered, but I, I, I'm, I'm picking up on what you're saying about being surrendered though. So, um, I gotta, I gotta dwell. I gotta, I gotta think on that a bit. <laughs> also step three is taken after a hell of a lot of work. It's not taken casually. It's like, you know, in the big book, they have a whole two or three pages to go over on, am I convinced that my life run on self-will is has failed, continues to fail, and will always fail me? Do I have any reservation about that? Because I can't even make the decision to turn my will and my life over to God's care if I don't have... Um, a real concession to that fact that my life just isn't working for me. And I'm seeing a life in which God is working for me. this. This business of being sponsored by someone who has been through this and has had a spiritual transformation is so vital because I need to see that what this person is talking about is a reality, not just theory. There's something about my wife, one time, uh, Michael, was he's an old guy. He's older than me, and I'm not all that young anymore. And we, she set us up so that we could see each other on WhatsApp, and she had to kind of work with both of us on it. So she and, I, she and Michael talked for about five minutes, just got everything set up. And that night, she said, you know, they didn't talk about anything except for just setting up the technology. She goes, I don't know what it is about him, but he has something. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we cannot transmit what we don't have. So it's so important. Part of the recovery process requires a person who has been transformed and continues to be transformed. Um, it would be like, I'm a guitar player. If I was to teach you guitar, but I played hardly any chords, would you really use me for your, you might say, we might be buddies, but you wouldn't say, hey, Jason, teach me to help. You might, you might say, show me that chord. I don't know that chord, but you wouldn't say, hey, Jason, will you be my guitar teacher? And even still, I would strongly caution against that. I'm not that, that great. I'm just functional. <laughs> All right. all right. Thank you, David. You Thank know, one you. thing you said. Thank you, David. Story, it's good to see you. Good to see all of you. One thing you said in your story, Jason, was when your sponsor asked you after you took that, he goes, "Well, did you turn your will and your life over to the care of God?" You said, "I made a decision." Because four decision, through nine yeah. makes that possible. Yeah. Or four yeah. through twelve, really. Everybody decided to be at this meeting today, but the only people who are here are people who acted on that decision. Yes. And right. I tried many, I tried to figure out how I could weasel out of this many, many times. So <laughs> <laughs> thank God you didn't stage fright. Yeah. John, got you got time for any more? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm looking for John in Baltimore. Can you Hi, John? John, you're, you're mute. still muted brother. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Dennis. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Jason, for your share, uh, it tracks mine in some ways. I just wanted to say that when you talked about trying to do it uh, one day at a time or once a week or once a month or how it didn't yeah. work for you, I tried that a couple times, and but both times I tried it, it didn't work for me. For the first time, I want to introduce myself as John from Baltimore. I am a recovered sexaholic. Uh, I didn't think of the recovering part till you put that together for me, Jason. I got sober in November of 1996, and I haven't acted out since then. And I was deeply involved with the program for probably six or seven, maybe eight years. And then since I was recovered, (laughs) I stopped going to meetings. Uh, And I stopped having a sponsor, active sponsor. And it wasn't until October the 19th of last year when my wife died, that I started coming back to the rooms. I didn't do that for any noble purpose. I just didn't have any place to go. And I was a big hole had been torn up in my life. And I just wanted somebody to talk to. Uh, And I'm still recovered. But somewhere along that time, after I stopped going to meetings and actively working the program. I was no longer recovering. I've been trying since I came back to find what's missing for me now. Uh, Beside my wife. Uh, 
and you've given me so many useful thoughts. And I'm, I'm really grateful for the realization that there is a difference between being recovered and recovering. I don't know how to make a question out of that, but I'm sure grateful you were here and I could feel God's presence. In, in, and I'm so glad you agreed to be recorded. Thank you. Thank you, John. Um, I appreciate that. I'm very sorry for the loss of your wife. I can't imagine going through that. Um, yeah, I mean, Roy wrote a book, Recovery Continues. Yeah, why not? You got anything else to do? Worth <laughs> doing? <laughs> I don't. Well, we love you, John, and we are so grateful that you're part of this family and this meeting that we get to have yeah. you on here. So. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. How long have you been back? Since October 19th last year. Wonderful. That was the date my wife died. Came to a meeting within probably four days of that, five days of that. We're glad you're welcome home. Yes. All right, Brian. Brian, hey. Brian K, hey. my buddy. I don't know. Thanks. I always, always love you, man. I don't know what this yeah. is about you. Oh, it's reciprocal. But um, you know, um, you know, I believe recovery can't be taught; it can only be experienced. And um, and you 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 just prove that. And 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 this is a share when it's recorded. When this is recorded, that's something I'm gonna. Tell people, you got to hear this. you got to listen to this. I don't want to feed your, at the risk of feeding your ego. I, this was really as profound a description. You know, the, the solution and the author of our solution is ineffable. You can't express it in words, but you came as close as humanly possible. Um, the real reason I wanted to share, though, is anytime somebody shares on suicide, I just wanted to quickly share my own experience because um, um, in 2014 and 15, when I lost my job and career, I was suicidal. I'd wake up crying. I knew what I was going to do. I didn't tell a soul. My therapist found out, and he helped me understand. It's an emotional addiction, and it progresses. The ruminations and ideations get worse and worse and worse. I was on a contract to live, and um, and what he helped me understand is I only get to act out once, and I can't be guaranteed that what happens after I act out, whatever life is after that, is any better. And and so I just urge anyone with ideations or ruminations of any sort on suicide to, to get help. I did get a lot of help from outside help um, and whatever source it is. I, I just, yeah, my heart goes out. And and my therapist told me, tell my wife, and I go, you're kidding. I thought you, and when I did, when I finally had the courage to, I thought you'd say, oh, poor Brian. She got angry with me. She said, I've committed decades of my life to you and you're going to cop out of me? I mean, I go, I, I shrunk. She was angry, livid. And I go, I thought I should get sympathy here. My sponsor, fortunately, I met the next day, and he said, Brian, that's somebody telling you, you matter. You matter to somebody. Anyway, I just want to share that anybody with ideations or ruminations of suicide, uh, I, I just urge you to seek help everywhere in any demand. God will take care of it. Uh, anyway, I, with that, I pass. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing to realize about sexualism is it's chronic, progressive, and fatal. You know, that's a big part of step one is seeing this chronic. Like, it's been going on a long time. It keeps recurring. It's not responding to any treatment. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. 
and uh, that that people can't help, doctors can't help, therapists can't help, meetings don't help after a while. You know, they're great in the beginning. And then it really comes down to, it says on page 44, it says, if you find you really can't stop when you want to, and you really can't control it when you want to, you're probably sexaholic. And if that be the case, you are in desperate need of a spiritual experience. It doesn't say desperate, but I'll just throw that in. So, like, there's no middle-of-the-road solution for us, at least not for me. Yeah. Okay. Right, Thanks, Brian. One more. Good to see Anthony, you. I'm sorry, Anthony, we're going to, because I do want to close this on time. Abby, if you got a question, and Jason, if you could uh, keep sure. it impacted, is, we appreciate it. Abby, go ahead. Okay. All right, thanks, and I'll try to give it brief. But and you touched on it a few times. But you spoke about that. Thank you, Jason. You spoke exactly. about um, the the change, and you know, when your sponsor asked you if you surrendered, and you said no. Um, I'm wondering what that what was different that time, you know? Because and I'll just briefly, my background is also I've been in this program for not quite as long as you, but um, I've been in this program for probably about ten years or so. And there were periods where I was very connected to the program, lots of meetings, lots of connection with, with, with brothers in the program and working the steps and really doing everything and felt like surrender, but then yet it didn't stick. And, you know, thank God I am in a place where I'm in touch with the sponsor, working the steps and doing everything to stay sober one day at a time. But I'm just wondering what that difference was. You know, I, I can't imagine that there was no surrender prior to that newfound surrender maybe you want to call it or whatever that was but that's that's really my question was what what was different about that that last time um the gift of desperation yeah and you know i i choose my words i try to choose my words very carefully when it comes to recovery um i had been in the fellowship for a long time but I have not been in recovery until I went through the steps with Michael. I had been in things that looked like they should be recovery. You know that product, I can't believe it's not butter, but it's not butter, but I can't believe it's not butter. It's like, I can't believe it's not recovery. But I'll tell you what, if the promises aren't happening, if the transformation isn't happening, it's it's just not, it's like you didn't get the, you're not in the right medicine. I found the right medicine right here in this book. So seriously, everything was different. All right, thank you. Because well, I, I got, I got into a, uh, I let go of a failed uh, a guy, a guy named Paul Hederman. I listen to a lot. He says, "I have to let go of a failed system." Mm. This is a failed system that I've been involved in, and a failed system can be going to lots of meetings and doing lots of things, but not letting God in. You know, not not really moving into not really moving from self reliance to God reliance. And here's the catch: I can't move me from self reliance to God reliance. I can be moved, but I I'm not the mover. Like step step six and seven say, I don't work on my character defects. I ask God to remove them for me. Why? So that I can be more useful. Yeah. All right, Jason. This will be our last question for the day, and then we'll let you close it out. Uh, we have a member that asked, you said that your sponsor said that sobriety is a side effect of the spiritual awakening and, in fact, is one of the more minor side effects. What are some of the more major effects of the spiritual awakening? That's a great question. Thank you. And I do want to say this, that 
because something is a minor effect does not mean that it's insignificant at all. I mean, if I didn't have a spiritual awakening that allowed me to be in a state of sobriety, free from the obsession, then none of the rest of this would even take place. But let's just take a look at what the big book says about this. That's, that's where I want to go is just to the source. Page 83 are the promises. And it states there at the bottom of page 83, it states, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, that's taking steps eight and nine, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. Now, new means something that I have not experienced before. It's not a new and improved. It's brand new. The freedom that I knew and the happiness that I knew was all around lusting, acting out, getting things to go my way. Needless to say, there wasn't much freedom or happiness in that at all, in fact. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. Now, know here does not mean with my mind so much as that I know it. It's an experience. I know it. Like I know that I'm breathing right now. Yeah. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. My personal favorite, we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then they go on to ask, are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. What a promise. Mm. What a great promise. So thank you for that question. And uh, I hope that's helpful. It is, Jason. And uh, somebody else had asked, what can you talk about in recovery, fear and guilt and shame? Yes, yes, that's a very good. I'd like to, I would best serve that question by dividing it into two camps. Let's look at fear first. The big book is very clear that self-reliance is what, why I'm afraid because self-reliance fails. So the book, the book gives me a prayer. What page is that on Dennis? That's 60, something, 60, 68, bottom of page 68. It says, when I'm afraid, we ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. That's a pretty cool promise. So, you know, like I had fear about speaking today. I really did. I was, I was trying to figure out how I could wiggle out of doing this, you know. And then, but I realized that that wasn't going to work because the fear, that wouldn't have, the fear is not handled by me handling it, by running away or fighting it, a false bravado, anything like that. It's handled by saying, I can't handle this. Mm -hmm. God, would you remove the fear? Direct my attention to what you'd have me be. And he directed me to come and share today. 
and to just trust him that what needed to be said by me for the audience that would hear this would be exactly what was needed to be said and heard. Mm-hmm. Nothing more, nothing less. Pretty cool. Now, as far as, I think the other was what, guilt and shame. Yeah. yeah. My experience with guilt and shame is that I don't have those experiences when I'm in complete surrender to the first step reality that I have no power, that I didn't, that I, that I don't have the, the option that I should have been different than I was. I couldn't be different than I was. I have no power over the allergy, no power over the obsession, no power over the character defects, none at all. That's why step six and seven begs the question. It says, am I going to handle all my character defects, which are basically the pride and gluttony and all those good things in the big book, the seven deadly sins. No. Why am I not going to handle them? Because I'm lazy? No, because I can't handle them. They are not within my power to handle. My job, very clearly in the 10th step with these, is just to ask God to remove them. Talk to someone about them if if there needs to be a talk. Make amends if needed. And then turn my attention to someone I can help. And when I'm in guilt and shame, I'm really in self-centeredness. I'm really in denial of the first step that I don't have the power. Having said that, that's not going to make guilt and shame just magically disappear. Oh, now I get it. Yeah, yeah, now I'm okay. But how about this? I'm going to go through steps eight and nine. And that's going to start to change that equation. Because I'm going to assume responsibility for making things right where I can and leaving them alone where I can't. Step five helps to take guilt and shame out because usually, not always, but usually the sponsor will say, yeah, me too. Or this is my experience with what you're talking about. The more that I can experience that I'm just a person with an illness, not a weak, immoral creep, any of that stuff weak-willed, bad guy should be locked up and just can shift over to the understanding that I'm suffering from an illness. I, I have a terminal illness that I, I wouldn't be ashamed if I had cancer. I would be very interested in the solution. I wouldn't waste any time beating myself over, why did you get cancer? Who knows? I got cancer. Let's get into the solution. I think it's the same way here, especially if, this, if the guilt and shame is around step one, to just concede to my innermost self that I am powerless, I am unmanageable, not because I'm a bad guy, but because I am in the grips of a progressive illness that over any time, any considerable time, page 30, check it out in the big book, gets worse, never better. Who's in the grip? Is the, is the sexaholism in my grip? No, I'm in its grip. I need treatment. I don't need beating myself up because, you know what? My sponsor says, if it works, I'm all in favor. Does guilting and shaming relieve me of this? Or does it bring me deeper and deeper into the bondage of self? So, Yeah. Wow. That's helpful. Thank you so much, Jason. All right. How do you want to do this, Dan? Do you want to wrap it up now and then? Yeah. And then we'll stick around. But I just want to thank everybody for being here. And, Jason, I want to thank you especially. That was a, a very powerful share. So if you could... Close us out with um, the Lord's Prayer, the program prayer of your choosing for those who are still sick and suffering in and out of these rooms. Let's go with the uh, 
in light of what I just said, let's close with the seventh step prayer. So those who don't know it, if you have your big book, I think it's on around page 76. 76, yep. When ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defective character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. So work it because you work with it. And all of you that are here or listening in the future to this, you are definitely worth it. And God bless you and have a wonderful day. Right. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Hey, Thank you. Here's a virtual hug. Thank, Thank you, you Jason. <laughs> Thank There's you, a virtual Thank you, Jason. Good to thank see you, you. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, everybody. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.